And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. Hello, listener. I'm Carl Anker, and welcome to Talk of the Devils. Can you tell I'm smiling right now? Yes, the Manchester United podcast from The Athletic can tell you today, Manchester United are top of the Premier League table for the first time in 877 days or match week one of the 2018-19 season. Uh, and United were only top that time because they played first on Friday. So, Manchester United, best team in the country. However, we should be serious for a little bit. And uh, Normally when you talk of the Devils, these two amazing writers and reporters who contribute to The Athletic tend to appear. First things first, uh, I'm joined by Laurie Whitwell. Hi Laurie, how are you? Manchester United at the top of the table. Yeah, I'm good, Carl. <laughs> and I get, I, I liked your intro. I actually only watched that video this morning uh, when, you know, Gary Neville walking down the steps at Turf Moor, humming his tune to himself, obviously with a certain match at Anfield in mind. Uh, and uh, yeah, he, he was there. We could, we could hear him in the stand last night sort of getting reanimated. I know that his commentary, I think um, people were sort of questioning exactly what he was saying at certain moments in the game, um, sort of seeing it differently from a United perspective. But he's obviously somebody who cares deeply for the club. And I actually was watching, it's a, a bit of a tangent, I was watching his celebration uh, when United beat City 4-3. Um, in that that great game at Old Trafford, when Mike Lowen scored the late goal, and and, and his decision to warm up uh, in the, in the in the ninety sixth minute, just in front of the City fans. So yeah, uh, I enjoyed that, and yeah, I'm I'm feeling good. I thought it was a, you know, it was, it was obviously you know very cold up in the, in the high stands up in in Turf Moor. You could see uh, quite far into the distance, but we had Darren Fletcher and Martin Pert up there with us for company. Darren Fletcher was very. Um, not emotional is the, is the wrong word. He was he was engaged in the in the performance. You could tell, you know, you've got a guy there that you know knows the club, knows what it is to win titles. There was a bit of a fist bump at full time with Martin Perp. A kind of acknowledgement that this was a significant win, um, but clearly not getting too far ahead of themselves. There's, there's plenty more battles to come. Um, but yeah, it's a good place to be. Three points clear of Liverpool. You, you think back to last year, nobody would have predicted that. <laughs> If you go back through the archive, listener, to around about this time last year and the last time Manchester United played Burnley, you would hear a very different type of talk of the Devils. But before we get into what happened on Tuesday and how far United have come in the calendar year and beyond, it's time for me to give the proper introduction and the flowers to the grand oracle of this podcast. He is editor of United We Stand. He covers Manchester United for the Athletic as a contributing writer. The brand new edition of United We Stand is now out in stores. It's got a lovely front cover of Scott McTominay done up as McSauce. Uh, I don't know where he is in the world right now, but I do assume he's very happy. It's Andy Min. Hi, Carl. I am happy. Cheers for the flowers. Um, it's probably more interesting where I've been in the last few days. I was at, uh, I did four games over the weekend. Villa Liverpool, Lincoln City against Peterborough United. Two teams, both doing well in League One, both managed by former Manchester United 
players, Darren Ferguson and Michael Appleton. Uh, Manchester United against Watford, where I had a good chat with Darren Fletcher. He, he watches the game up in the stand and obviously was doing that last night, as Laurie said, at Burnley. And he's really into his tactics, his, his analysis. He sees things slightly differently to pretty much every other footballer I've spoken to. And I'm convinced he'll be an asset to Manchester United's coaching staff. And then I went to Marine on Sunday for their game against Spurs. I spoke a little bit with Jamie Carragher about the forthcoming Manchester United game at Anfield. And then a day later, obviously, United were drawing Liverpool in the FA Cup. And I, I saw that and thought, ah, I didn't like it. I've got to be honest, I'd like to win the FA Cup this year. or like United too, rather than me personally, since I don't contribute anything to Manchester United's oh. performances on the pitch. And um, I just think Liverpool are a very good team. And Manchester City seem to be getting some really favourable draws in, into the domestic cup competitions. And United are getting some tough draws. But if you want to be the best, you've got to be the best. You've got to beat them. You do. If you want to be the man, you've got to beat the man, as a certain Ric Flair said. However, let's get down to business. Manchester United beat Burnley 1-0 last night. Uh, Paul Pogba scoring, should we call that half volley, Laurie? Or full volley? I th- was it not full on the, on the volley? I, I can't. I'm trying to think now. It's always a contentious one. We'll leave that to the volley judges listening to the podcast right now. Basically, Manchester United beat Burnley, and now they're top of the league. That's really, really good. Laurie, how did that happen? Yeah, it was it was it was the kind of performance I think we expected, really, wasn't it? I mean, I know a few people were thinking United could go and blow Burnley away, but the way they organised, the way they press, you know, from the front, and they did it in a, in a good way, you know, coordinated from from kickoff. Um, Sean Dyche's team, um, you know, they make it quite difficult, but United grew into the game, you know survived the kind of bizarre uh, instances of VAR or, or not VAR that, that happened. Um, I'm still not sure why Harry Maguire's goal was disallowed and I'm even more confused um, watching Michael Keane's you know, goal against Wolves, which was justifiably allowed to stand. Um, so, you know, I think that's that's a sign of a good team that they can overcome those perceived injustices and stick to a game plan. I think second half when Burnley tired, you really saw United step it up in a controlled way it never looked like Burnley were, were going to get close to scoring against United until the final, you know, five minutes when they were, you know, flying everything forward, and, and maybe that could be one criticism. United could have perhaps kept possession a bit better in, in the very final stages and, and and seen out the game a bit more comfortably. Obviously, they had a couple of chances to do it with a, you know, two nil sort of as they did at Turf Moor last season late on um, but I thought it was a really sort of professional adult performance um, I, I mentioned you, you've mentioned Paul Pogba I think he, he was obviously you know excellent um, and next to him Nemanja Matic um, I thought they understand each other really well Matic dropped a bit deeper to collect the clearances that Burnley kept on producing in the second half the high balls he would sort of sweep them up you know near enough in the back three and then sort of get play forward moving uh, quickly again um, you know, some some of the performance, you know, Bruno Fernandes wasn't at his best, but still played a part in the goal. Marcus Rashford perhaps wasn't at his absolute best, but, you know, provides an assist in his numbers for goals and assists. I think it's 11 in 14 now, um, goals and assists. So it's, it's a you know, a good run. So even when he's perhaps people are saying, is he playing at his best? He's still, you know, making a meaningful 
impact at the at the top end of the pitch, which is where you want him to. Um, and you know, and the bench looked good as well. You know, you look at the fact that Mason Greenwood was able to come on, um, Axel Twanzebe was able to come on. You know, Donny Van der Beek, we still you know didn't see him, but that's I still see that as a good sign that you know United have got this kind of strength in depth. Because I was looking back at that Burnley game that United lost two <laughs> nil. Old Trafford. I mean, you know, it was it was horrific in, in the angriest in the pod that, we've done in Talk of the Devil's history. I think that one was. I'm trying to think. I, I think I've wiped it from my mind, to be honest. Um, but I, I remember the atmosphere in Old Trafford. I remember the piece I wrote in terms of the way that there was such animosity in the stands. It was it was directed so so you know directly at the Glazers and then the sort of the transfer spending. You know, United then went and bought Bruno Fernandez, and it's it's looked better. You know, since that point, um, and it's not it, obviously. Fernandez has been, you know, a key, you know, instrumental figure in United's um, upsurge. But I think he has. Other players have stepped up in recent weeks. I thought Luke Shaw had another good game. Aaron Wan-Bissaka, you wrote a good piece on him uh, for the Athletic this week. I thought he had some really nice moments where he, he put passes through the lines with a bit of zip to them. Um, listen, he might not have got the crosses in in those moments when he did do the overlapping runs, but I think he sort of showed more impetus about him in an offensive sense. So I think you know it, it is. It feels good. It feels that there's a good balance to the team, that there's options there, that Solskjaer's shuffling his, his deck well. He comes across in post-match interviews in a calmed, sort of relaxed manner. He's not getting carried away, but you can sense that there's a, a positivity around the place that's that's building gradually. And listen, Anfield's, you know, the, the number one place to go and test that, isn't it, with, with their unbeaten run. So, um, yeah, we'll see what happens on Sunday. Honestly and truly. Thanks, Laurie, for that very detailed breakdown of what happened at Turf Moor. I did like how you put a little upward inflection when you went, things are good. <laughs> I know I'm still not I'm still I'm still just trying to keep a little bit of a uh, you know I think people can enjoy it certainly I mean I've got loads of Man United supporting mates you know and, and our group chats last night were, were buzzing with excitement and I think that's to be allowed you have to if you can't enjoy these kind of moments then what are you supporting football for um, but I don't know you, you just look at it and think you know, reality feels like it's going to creep up and bite you. But listen, it's a season like no other. It's a, it's a, it's a different landscape. So, you know, why not go for it? Why not go for it indeed? This, again, this is the first time United have been top of the table at this point in time since 2013, where United did win the title. Andy, you've watched more Manchester United title races. I've Again, I'm putting air quotes around title race right now because even though I am being insufferable, I am a bit scared. So... Is this on, Andy? Well, it is a race, and we don't know how long the race is going to last, but it's really nice for Manchester United to be in the race. As Laurie said, talking to his mates on WhatsApp, I'm doing exactly the same, and, and people are buzzing. I don't think most United fans expect the team to win the league this year. United are still third favourites by a distance, but it's been a long time since United were in a race. United have hit the top a couple of times. You mentioned that game at the start of last season. I can probably say it now he's gone, but about a week before that, I spoke to Andreas Pereira, who played in that game, and he said to me, we are going to smash Chelsea. And I thought, ooh, that's, that's a bit of a strong statement. And he was right. And then I'll keep Andreas in this bit of the conversation because... He was man in a match at Burnley last year and he didn't have a good season last year. And I'm not saying he's Manchester United quality. But the fact that he played over 40 games last year probably showed weakness in Manchester United. 
and we're seeing less of that now. United have been far more fortuitous with injuries, haven't been afflicted by COVID like some of the other teams. As Laurie says, Ollie's shuffling his pack nicely. He's making game changes game after game and he's got an increasing confidence that he can make changes and trust the players that he brings in. Doesn't always convince. I thought the FA Cup performance against Watford on Saturday was pretty lacklustre and too many players who had a chance to shine didn't. But United got a, another win, another clean sheet. And Burnley's tough. It, it, it's that horrible cliche, it's tough to go to Burnley. But the team reflects the personality of the manager. They've been keeping clean sheets. To go there is difficult, as well as the players Laurie picked out, and I agree with all of them. I thought Eric Bailly should be worthy of um, a mention because he's done really well. He's really come on in, played in the last four Premier League matches. And you need that to win the league. You need players to come on at various points in the season, like Paul Pogba has done in the last five or six weeks and was clearly man of the match at Turf Moor. And all of these ingredients going into this big pot has put United at the top of the table, absolutely in a race. Do I think the team will win the league this season? Probably not, no. I see Manchester City winning deservedly so at Old Trafford a week ago. You've probably got the edge, the small margins on Manchester United. But if you'd have said to me at the start of the season that when United go to Anfield in January, they'll be clear at the top of the league. I don't know anybody who would have had that. Nobody. And that's partly because Liverpool have been faltering as well, and City. But it's to United's credit that they've got into that position with brilliant away form. Absolutely brilliant. I've never known away form as good as this at all the time I've supported the team. And the home form's picked up as well. So it's exciting. It's absolutely a race. United are still behind the points total from two years ago under Jose Mourinho. But the difference then was Manchester City were running away with the league. Now, the league's much tighter. And if United were not to win for five or six matches, they could be dropping down to sixth or seventh. So you've seen six or seven weeks ago, Manchester United being mid-table. But it's far, far brighter now. There's room for improvement. You mentioned Mar Martial. Uh, I think he's a player who's struggling a little bit at the moment. And if someone like him can spark, you know, in March then great, because he's clearly a talented player. United need luck, luck with injuries, luck with late goals. And I think it, it, it's all looking in, it's all looking bright at the moment, but there's still a long, long way to go. The season's still not at the halfway point, even though we're in the middle of January. Which is remarkable. <laughs> Absolutely remarkable. Yeah. Oli said that after the game against Watford, and I felt myself age over the Zoom call. There's many games to come. Um, one thing I want, I want to point out is, Obviously, this was Manchester United's game in hand. This would have been Manchester United's first game of the season, but it got pushed back because of their Europa League excursion. And you do wonder if United had played this game at the start of the season, whether or not they'd be in the position they are in there. One big thing that was really important to the victory against Burnley was the performance of Paul Pogba, who was not in great form at the start of the season. Um, only a couple of weeks ago, we were on this podcast after the, the defeat against a certain team affiliated with the energy drink um we were talking about how Pogba had uh disrespected the club and was very much expected to leave Laurie how important do you think the Frenchman is going to be for the rest of this season I think it'd be vital uh, and I think you have to 
credit Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with how he's handled the whole situation because whilst a lot of people, you know, probably myself included, were losing our minds over Mino Raola's comments um, that felt disrespectful on the eve of such an important Champions League game. Solskjaer, I think privately was, you know, angry. You know, he, he made his points, but publicly, and, and that's crucial, he did not criticise Paul Pogba. He, he deflected, defended him, told everyone that he was an important player, that he's a, a good trainer, that he knows he is, a, is a, an important player for United, you know, a technically... Um, you know, beautiful play, and we saw that last night really with the way he connected with that volley, and and also the way he took responsibility last night. I thought was was really impressive. You know, most touches of anyone on the pitch, most passes completed, most aerial duels won. You know, he was there in midfield, you know, and a number of times in in, in United's own box, clearing balls with his head. You know, he's using his height to its advantage there. But I think Solskjaer knew all those things and knew. Listen, Pogba's not going to leave mid-season, so why would I jettison a player? Um, who can produce for us? Listen, we don't know what's going to happen in the summer, and, and you know that, that narrative is still to be written. Um, I'm sure it's not set in stone, you know, even just yet, perhaps. But um, but I think the way that he's handled him encouraged Pogba to produce these kind of displays. You know, he p- he picked him against Man City when when nobody thought he would. He, he keeps on picking him in different ways, uh, you know, in different systems. You know, sometimes out on the left where he can you know, provide a different kind of input to the game. I think against Burnley, it was really shrewd decision to have him there sitting, you know, against Burnley's, you know, low block. You know, he's there, another creative player. Often he was pushing up into the number 10 role alongside Bruno Fernandes to support the kind of creative input of the game. And I just think that Solskjaer has done well there because, you know, we know that a manager in that position could go the other way and, you know, get extremely irritated with his player and, and kind of force him out and, uh, you know, and give him the cold shoulder, put him in the deep freeze, whatever you want to call it. But he's gone the other way, brought him in. Um, and, I mean, you can feel... You know, the, you can feel that a, a chance at winning silverware in this way with United would invigorate Paul Pogba because you look at the way he played in the World Cup for France. The, the goal was very clear there. You know, it was a short period of time, admittedly, but you could see what France were trying to build towards. And with United, there is that idea now this season. It's a sort of germ of an idea, but it, it could, if you pour a bit of water on it, it could sprout nicely. And, and I think Pogba is of that mindset now where he feels, you know, he could do something with the club. And I think that gives Solskjaer a decision for Liverpool, really, because I think everyone would have gone, okay, McTominay and Fred is your midfield duo, um, you know, and, and then the front three, you know, you can decide amongst a few, I suppose, but but has it's difficult to, to leave Pogba out now. Um, I asked Solskjaer about it after the game and he, he did basically concede that, that the performances that some of the players put in against um, Burnley were would give him food for thought for the game on Sunday. So, you know, I think he has got a team in mind, but, it, you know, he can change that. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we've got a lot... You can tell the 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 the, uh, the manner that Pogba is, is kind of in people's minds, United fans' minds at the moment, because we've got so many questions when I asked for a few um, people to input. And one from Peter Fitzpatrick um, was asking whether he th- whether we think... And I'll, I'll, I'll ask this to you, Carl, um, whether we think that... Um, Pogba's the decision by Roller to sort of come out so emphatically and say that his United time is up has actually liberated Pogba, you know, so that he feels free from any kind of discussions, you know, and he can just play his football. Yeah, I th- think I think so. I think what has long been the story of Pogba is sort of a gentleman who 
as Andy said previously on this podcast, he probably didn't get what Manchester United offered him when the deal was first done. I think Pogba's probably played alongside some teammates in the United midfield that probably were not the quality he expected. And I think it's quite interesting now that just as he's probably getting ready to leave and wanting to go to Parsons New, that this Manchester United team is getting to a point where they do have a better, more working midfield. Uh, I want to throw this one to Andy. Now, would you play Pogba against Liverpool on Sunday? Well, he's, he's an informed player and he's capable of the spectacular. And if United are going to go for the win, he's one of the players along with Bruno who can who can do that against a Liverpool team who's had big issues in defence because of their their injuries. And I'm probably sounding hesitant because I still feel that while he's hugely talented, he's capable of losing the ball and causing problems to his own team. Maybe that's because he takes more risks when he makes the the passes. But then Bruno does that. Bruno did that more against Burnley than than Paul Pogba did. And Bruno got frustrated probably with himself as well. And that's why, why he was booked. I think that... Uh, Ollie would probably go for the McTominay, uh, Fred. But then Fred has matches where he loses the ball far too much. I think any player who's going to pass the ball forward is going to, going to lose possession, especially against a team who's going to be as on top as United, mm-hmm. as Liverpool will be. Uh, it's a tough one. I'm glad that I'm not paid to be manager of Manchester United. I think you've got to respect his decision on this one and he'll either be vindicated for it or absolutely slaughtered if Manchester <laughs> yeah. United don't don't win don't win it. But it's not a bad choice to have, is it? And you know, Laurie touched on Matic as well. I thought he did really well against Burnley. He he doesn't give the ball away. But against Liverpool's forwards who are faster, more nimble, he's probably not the right player to play in that game at this stage of his career. So I, I wouldn't if Pogba was picked to start at Anfield I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Uh, but it's one of them games where if he is to be the world-class player, which he clearly can be, then if he was to shine at Anfield, that w- I think a lot of people would really reassess how they feel about him. To shine in a huge match, not just Burnley away, where he did really well, but Burnley technically are nowhere near Liverpool's level. If Pogba was to be man in a match at Anfield and United were to go six points clear of Liverpool... Then his agent can start talking about new contracts, <laughs> <laughs> which is a long way from where we were six weeks ago. I am positively I, giddy at the thought, Laurie. You well, I was just going to say. Well, sorry, Carl. I mean, one possible solution is he does he go back to the Man City lineup where you've got McTominay, Fred in in midfield, and then Pogba on the left. I mean, I know Anthony Martial came off last night. I don't know how serious the injury was, but that you know that possibility to, to, for all three in that way. I, I don't know. Listener, you can hear me put on my glasses and push the rim far up my <laughs> nose. Uh, I think the injuries to Nemanja Matic, Matic uh, was holding his groin and it looked as if Anthony Martial was holding his hamstring after the Burnley game. I think there is a viewpoint or a possibility where you play Cavani up top, Pogba on the left, Rashford on the right-hand side uh, and then McFred base. I think the really interesting thing is Liverpool right now. So if they do what they did against Southampton, uh, and play Henderson and Fabinho as the centre-backs, that won't work. I think what is more likely for Liverpool is they'll probably go back to some form of a midfield three as Henderson and Fabinho and probably Gini Wijnaldum so they can recycle the ball a lot, which makes me think Pogba would be better off on the left. Uh, I also think even though Marcus Rashford on the right-hand side 
maybe isn't the best from attacking wise because he can't really cut inside the way he wants. It does balance the team out a lot more because he helps out Aaron Wan-Bissaka. <laughs> options. This is the fun thing about Manchester United now. There are options. Hmm. Uh, Andy, you mentioned a little bit about Andreas Pereira. Uh, thanks to the magic of podcasting, I looked up how Andreas Pereira has been doing right now because he's uh, on loan at Lazio. He has started twice. Yeah, he's um, he's enjoying living in Rome and he's enjoying being a, a father and he's not starting a lot. He's coming on for nine or 10 or 11 minutes for the eighth best team in, in Italy. And I felt United felt that going to Italy would suit him because the pace of the game is slower and he'd have more time on the ball. But he's not getting the minutes, whereas Chris Smalling went there, became a starter pretty much right from the beginning of his time at Roma last year, leading to his permanent transfer. It's not quite happening yet for, for Andreas. So I wish him well. Uh, I, I can't see his future being at Manchester United unless there's a 40% improvement in his level. And I know that Ollie likes him, but yeah, he's, he's uh, coming on for nine minutes at Spezia away. Is, is not probably how he envisaged his career going a, a year ago. No, no, uh, it's uh, it is unfortunate. But again, to go back to Manchester United, there are options now, uh, and I know a lot of our listeners are confused as to the whereabouts or best place for Donny Van der Beek. Uh, rather than think of him as sort of the player to go straight into the first team, try and imagine him someone who will play in the games that Andreas would normally play last season, and then it makes a little bit more sense. Uh, and before we get into all this, we still got Armand Diaz to come, a genuine right winger. Isn't that fun? And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Call 1-800-DIRECTV. Claim based on total games carried on sports networks. Sports availability varies by zip code and requires choice package. Terms and restrictions apply. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Now let's get into what we think will happen. Obviously, this game's going to be played at Anfield. Manchester United have a really good away record at the moment. Laurie, do United have anything to fear on Sunday? Well, there's certainly no fans to fear, um, which is, um, you know, perhaps, I think, good timing in that sense. Um, I mean, their last season, um, it was, you know, again, around this time when United went there and you could feel that Liverpool were building towards something and United were a bit, rudderless, uh, you know, a bit lost. They actually played, I thought, quite well in that game. Um, you know, it was the back three, wasn't it, where Solskjaer sprung a bit of a surprise playing Luke Shaw as a, a centre-back and, and Brandon Williams as a left wing-back and, and, and thought Fred had a good game. But, you know, Liverpool felt like the team that were more, you know, understanding of each other, more confident and, and they won out 
they won the game fairly comfortably in the end. I think this time it will be interesting. I think it's, it's a really good point you make about the centre-backs for them. Um, you know, Cavani up against, you know, a pairing that perhaps isn't used to playing in central defence would be interesting. Likewise, if he's up against one of the other uh, younger centre-backs that they've got, you know, um, Phillips, I think, played really well in one of his first games for Liverpool, but he's very much a, you know, head it clear and, you know, boots it, you know, high up the pitch rather than a kind of bring it out the back um, kind of defender, which I think, you know, he could play into United's hands a bit more if Liverpool aren't, you know, keeping possession as much as they usually do. So, um, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's, it's a really appealing game um, to, to test this United team out because you know Liverpool away last season was the last time they lost on the road 15 matches since then in the Premier League um, 12 wins three draws as Andy says you know it's it's a it's difficult to recall a time when United were that consistent away from home and they, they haven't really you know they've had a few sketchy performances for sure but they've never felt you know like they were you know in trouble you know they've always felt in in those games as well, and, and then ended up you know winning or, or drawing them. So um, it would be good to see United go there with a purpose, with an attempt to win the game, and, and look confident in doing so. It's really interesting that Ollie has spoken multiple times about how he doesn't really believe there's a difference between home and away games without fans, but there is a certain something about Manchester United away from home. Maybe there's just more space to run on the transition and for the counterattacks, and it. You've been to Anfield, you've seen a lot of United-Liverpool games. Do you think the closed-door element will change the makeup of this game at all? It'll make it easier for Manchester United because you've not got a very partisan home crowd, 50,000 scousers and 3,000 very vocal away fans trying to do the best. I'm, I'm gutted there's no fans just even saying this. Two games against Liverpool and no fans can be there. And of course, the cop famously manages to suck the ball into the net Uh, When Liverpool are playing, it is so loud. It really does mean more when that ground is rocking. So if it's not happening, and a month ago it was happening because Liverpool um, was in Tier 1 and 2,000 fans were allowed to attend the Everton game and that made a difference. But Manchester United were fine at Goodison. A very good Everton team United have beaten twice uh, this season and I think they need to go, go west and do exactly the same. A third win... On Merseyside uh, this season, although as I'm saying that, I don't think that'll happen. I'm quite <laughs> happily settle for a, a one-all draw. I'm just getting carried away with the emotion and and the idea of it happening. Uh, and as Laurie said, I, I don't think United played that badly last year at Anfield in the last time that an away game um, saw a defeat. What used to give teams home advantage? The crowd and maybe the referee was influenced by the crowd. Uh, the The familiarity with the pitch, but pitches have been pretty uniform now for 15 years and you've seen it more in European games, you know, you're not going to play on an ice pitch in in Eastern Europe, but in the Premier League, they're all pretty similar, the lighting's all done to a uniform uh, standard, so uh, home advantage, as we're seeing by results, has definitely been um, diminished, but look at Liverpool's home record this season, mm-hmm. it's very, very strong. Liverpool's away form has been their concern. Uh, the last time I saw Liverpool playing at Anfield was when I tuned in for the last 20 minutes of uh, Liverpool against West Brom. And oh, hello, it's only 1 0. <laughs> and suddenly I find myself singing, boing, boing, baggies, baggies. <laughs> like, and when West Brom uh, saluting Sam Johnson, who's a great lad, 
And then uh, when West Brom got the equaliser, jumping up off the sofa, and my wife saying, I thought you said United are not playing uh, until for a few more days. Now, what, what it is, love, it's um, it's West Brom. They're a team from near Birmingham, <laughs> and they've, they've just equalised Anfield. But why should we hide them emotions? It's football. We should be enjoying it. It's not that serious. I will... It's serious, but we should be enjoying these moments. And if United can get an equaliser at Anfield, I'd, 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 I'd take that now. Because I still think if, if Liverpool played United... Um, without home advantage, without away advantage on a neutral ground, I still think Liverpool would beat United more times than than the other way around. And United have got to play them twice, so I'm not hugely confident over the next couple of weeks. Please prove me wrong, like you have done several times. I'm just going to say it. Man United are going to beat Liverpool at least once out of those two games. Maybe it'll be the one, the game with the least peril, and I can't decide which game has the least peril just now. I mean, the fun thing is, if Manchester United... I'm not going to say that word, but if the result doesn't go to Manchester United's way, I mean, they're still on the same points. Ain't that fun? But yeah, United are going to win at least one of these games against Liverpool. We have mentioned that they have drawn Liverpool in the fourth round of the FA Cup. Laurie, you will be the person covering this Sunday's game. What do you think is going to happen? Um, yeah, it's tough, isn't it? <laughs> I wish I wish I could be emphatic. I'm always rubbish at predictions. That's why I never I never bet or anything like that. I I was one of those people that was covering Leicester's five thousand to one title victory and never once put a bet on, um, even when they were top at Chris, Christmas and and thousand to one still. Um, yeah, I I, th- I think United will go there with confidence and will will start well. Uh, and I think it'll just be a case of those those fine margins, whether they take the chances or not. I could I could see a nil nil happen. I could see you know one one happen. You know I'd love it to be a one nil or a, you know a two one. Um, I don't I don't know. I don't feel like they'll get beat. I, I think if if they I think if they get beat, it'll be a kind of Liverpool v Spurs game where Liverpool have to really you know rally and it's it's kind of like a late you know victory for them. That's the kind of sense I get. But listen. What do I know? I've, I've been wrong many times before. <laughs> I'm looking forward to having another episode and having a very long conversation about penalties and VAR. Um, Andy, you mentioned a little bit about how you spoke to Jamie Carragher on Sunday at the Marine Spurs game. What was he like? I, I like him. And I realise that um, most Manchester United fans probably don't share that opinion. Uh, I've long liked him because I feel he's a proper football fan. I remember he's bought United We Stand for years, which absolutely stunned me. He used to buy it in Manchester Airport and then hide it because he didn't want to be seen <laughs> buying it. And I think there are Man United players who don't even know what United We Stand is. And he did, and he'd recall articles. He subscribed to the likes of 442 magazine and would ring the office to ask when his subscription was about to expire. And I think he's a football geek and... There are a few. There are a few players like that. Darren Fletcher is one of them. Javi Hernandez is one of them. And Jamie was going to matches as a young Everton fan, um, growing up, going, following his team home and away, and then obviously because of his connection with Liverpool, switch teams, which you don't do. But then, what do you do if you're him? You know, he's he's playing for Liverpool. That they're not a bad sized club, and then he's he's. Won what he's won with him with uh, no league titles, and saw him at Marine. Uh, he put twenty grand out of his own pocket <laughs> into supporting that game. I'm being factually correct here. I've got to say he's never won the league. It's true. It's, these are factual. These are facts. Luke Shaw is six foot one. Yeah, <laughs> and 
he, he put money into sponsoring that game at, um, at Marine and I know that he loves football of all levels and I can just see beyond the fact that he played he played for Liverpool probably because he wasn't quite good enough to play for, for Manchester United to ever make a, a bid for him but he's, he's made um, a few mistakes which have turned Manchester United fans uh, against him but I've got time for him and I think he I think he speaks well about football um, what he was saying about United was he doesn't think that Ollie is the boss to take United to being the great greats again and he still thinks Liverpool uh, are better than United I, I pointed out because I, I wanted to deal in facts that um, Liverpool have got 19 league titles and Manchester United have got 20 um, These are league facts. titles and um, Facts. He, he, he said that um, it's good that United are are back for for football, but I think he's I think he's someone who's worth listening to when you um when you talk about football. And a lot of his mates they they, they go and watch the football all the time. His dad was uh, ran lots of Sunday league teams. Uh, one of them was used Marines grounds, so I don't have to agree with him. I don't have to socialise with him, but he's someone who I think when ahead of a United v Liverpool game, you can just listen to opinions which conform to your views or you can get contrary opinions and that, that's not a bad thing to do that in life. It is not at all. And he will most likely do a very good episode of Monday Night Football that will do some fine analysis of Manchester United's glorious victory over Liverpool on Sunday. Right then. Laura, you got any news for us in the transfer window? I hear some stuff about Jesse Lingard. Yes, we've got a little piece this morning um, that just touches on Jesse Lingard. It's, it's nothing, um, you know, too groundbreaking. I don't want to uh, sort of claim, uh, you know, big screaming headline, but it, it contains a little bit of information about what he's up to at the moment. Obviously, we saw him against Watford and um, it's just the fact that there's a number of clubs that are looking at him, um, but that nothing's really progressed at the moment and speaking to a few people it doesn't it wouldn't surprise me if he stayed at United this month I sort of had my, my view at the start of the month that he, he would leave you know on loan at least um, Sheffield United are one of the clubs that have looked into that possibility but despite their win last night they're still very much in a relegation battle and I think Lingard is looking at it and thinking do I really want to, to go into that kind of situation um, at this stage you know I, I, you know there's plenty of time left in this window and then then obviously summer beyond um you know to sort of see uh, what his next move might be but clearly you know he, he wants to be playing football he's um he's played three games this season you know two starts you know all, all of them were in cup competitions been an unnamed sub on the bench seven times so you know he's, he's really one of those players I think that Solskjaer was alluding to when he spoke about two or three might go out this month um obviously we, you know we're looking at Sergio Romero and Marcus Rojo as well as candidates there um but stuff is still to be sorted uh, on both those accounts um and yeah and you know as as Solskjaer said I don't think we're going to see anybody coming in you know Diallo is a good addition to the team his visa's come through he's in the country um so that's a positive thing um, but I don't think anything else will happen this month Kieran Trippier uh, is somebody that United are looking at um, they did have some conversations about him um, from Atletico Madrid but the FA ban that came in um, put, 
put the, uh, the nail in the coffin for that one for this uh, month at least. But I wouldn't be surprised if something, you know, some some kind of conversations happen in the summer where when he'll have a year left on his Atletico Madrid contract, just to just to give the squad, as as we said, you know, as you, as you mentioned with uh, Van der Beek, I thought it was a really good comparison with Andreas Pereira, where you know <clears throat> United relied upon Pereira, you know, too much last season. You know, whereas we've got the opposite happening with Van der Beek, where people are asking where he is every week. But I think that's just a sign of the squad depth, and, and I think that's what Solskjaer wants to get in each of his positions. So a player such as Trippier, a kind of a natural attacking right back to supplement Aaron Wambasaka to help bring him on and also just provide opposition with a bit of a different um, sort of obstacle, I suppose, is, is one word to, to tackle, <laughs> um, would be would be a, an interesting addition. Um, so, yeah, but I think that's about it. We, we, we touched on, I mean, the Moises Quesado, not going to happen. I know we've spoken about him previously, but it was always a difficult one and it seems like Brighton are in the hunt for him. Sergio Ramos has been linked to Manchester United again. Uh, to my memory, Sergio Ramos has been linked to Manchester United every <laughs> single transfer window since about 2009. Is there <laughs> anything in this one, Laurie? Well, and what what usually happens, Carl? What, what, what usually is the result of, of that? It's uh, a, it's a na- <laughs> Sergio Ramos tends to get a nice little bump in his contract doesn't it <laughs> yeah, yeah. that is the suspicion this time so yeah I mean just speaking to people um, close to United there, there isn't any uh, sort of view of, of bringing him to the club so I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up signing a, a lucrative new contract at Real Madrid it looks like it's going to be a return to the barter system rather than uh, Park Lane Monopoly purchases in the January transfer window so I think <laughs> I think we can wrap up the transfer segment on this podcast one thing I do want to mention uh, I mentioned Laurie will be covering the men's team on Sunday uh, we want to talk a little bit about Manchester United women's team who are also top of the top flight uh, they're currently top of the women's super league Casey Stoney's side are unbeaten in the league thus far they're three points clear Chelsea Chelsea who are also unbeaten in second place uh, so Manchester United's men's and women's team are top of the league they're going to be playing the team's Second in league on Sunday. That's a lot of fun. Andy, I know you watched Casey Stoney's team a couple of weeks ago, didn't you? Yeah, I did. I watched them beat Bristol City and secure their place at the top of, of the league. And I don't go all the time to watch the, the women's team. So I wanted to see what it was like with my own eyes and see the different players and hear Casey's kids shout her, Mom! Mom! from the side before the current restrictions, by the way. But... There was a good buzz about it. I think the women's setup has been really successful. You can see that in the league position. And again, United were not the favourites to win the title this year, not by a long stretch. It's in City, it was Chelsea, but they're doing well. What impresses me about the women's side it isn't just what happens on the pitch, it's off it. There's, there's like a, um, a developing fan culture. They've all had their own flags made. They're all currently sort of hung limply on the terrace at, at Lee where they play, 12 miles west of Manchester, which isn't the ideal location. It'd be better if the women's home ground was closer to the city, ideally at somewhere like the cliff, although there's restrictions there on the capacity. But there's a couple of thousand fans who are going to all the matches, going to away games. They've got their own songs for their own players. And I just think it's a good thing to see because United dragged their heels for far too long in terms of getting a professional setup for for the women's team. So I was pleased to see that it, that it's working out. It's very much uh, they are the surprise package of the Super League this season. Uh, ahead of the season, I did think the signings of Christian Press and Tobin Heath helped United turn a top three in the women's Super League into a top four, um, and the fact they are top at this point is very encouraging. It's more a case of whether they can last the distance. And the signs look 
pretty good. Casey Stoney um, has been in the news earlier this week, apologising for allowing some United players to go to a trip to Dubai and join uh, Arsenal and Manchester City teammates. But they seem in a good place. Casey Stoney has created a very, very good, um, very serious um, culture that very much looks to be in the title race. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Any other order of business? We've got one question here regarding Eric Bai. Uh, so thank you very much, listeners, for asking questions to the podcast. Uh, it's a question here from Dan um, D. Fizak, who goes, uh, Hello, do you think Eric Bai has done enough to be considered the first choice along with Harry Maguire and put the search for a new centre-back on the back burner for a while, as long as he stays injury-free? Reading this question, the key words are, as long as he stays injury-free. But what do you think, Laurie? Yeah, he's a key caveat, isn't it? I mean, he's obviously had his troubles um, and... I guess there was a familiar feeling when he uh, was forced off um, at the weekend, um, and, and but pleasing to see him, you know, come back straight away against Burnley and, and put in, as Andy mentioned, you know, rightly, a, a really good performance. I, what I like about Bailly is, aside from his speed, you know, he clearly complements Maguire well in that regard. It's the, the the kind of he does have a bit of daring to him, um, and I know Lindelof isn't, you know, can can come forward with the ball. He's got a nice pass in him, um, but Bailly has this sort of um, ability to. To make an attacker think he's going to pass back to the goalkeeper, he did that once um, last night, and then step over it and quickly dart the other way in an aggressive manner. So, and that, that I think that just gives United a bit more impetus from the back. He did it again uh, later in the first half, where he sort of twisted and then drove through the middle. And it just having a player like that at the back, and Maguire does do it as well. But it just gives United a bit of unpredictability, you know, rather than just passing it around the back. If you've got a guy that, you know, is, is prepared in the right moments, of course, to take the initiative and go forward, uh, that's, that's, you know, only a good thing. It is a slightly more complementary partnership, in my opinion, if only because Bailly seems a little bit stronger in his 1v1 duels, especially in the air. So while Lindelof is perhaps the best United centre-back in terms of timing and using space, he can get bullied a little bit. Um, in the air, which creates the knock-on effect of this weird thing where Wambasaka stands a little bit too close to the Swede when uh, crosses delivered. I did get very nervous when Burnley directed a cross to a ball in the first minute. We've got another question here from Michael Lowe, who says, in this unbeaten run, we've seen Oli pick horses for courses in midfield. Do you think it's the best way forward to use the McFred partnership or Pogba and Nemanja Matic as two distinct units, or is there room for mixing and matching their skill sets? I've said Pogba and Nemanja Matic, but Michael Lowe in his tweet has used the term Pogic, 
Uh, we've got a lot of Manchester United nicknames. They've got McSauce, we've got McFred, uh, and now we've got Pogic. Is Pogic a thing, Laurie? Well, yeah, th- this is something that I decided was a good idea at about three, a- three o'clock in the morning last night as I was sort of trying to do my match piece and, and, and get it just right. And, and you know, listen, uh, inspiration comes to us at, at different moments. <laughs> and I, I don't think this one goes down in that way. I had one comment on the piece say, uh, enjoyed the piece, you know, great what United are doing. You, you captured it well. Please never use Podgic again. Um, so I think that might be the time to put it to rest. I'd, I just thought it, it sounded quite similar to like, like logic, you know, so I thought, you know, it kind of makes sense. I don't know. I'm, I'm reaching there, aren't I? I? I just refer to it as the project restart pivot. I think we're wrapped up for Talk of Devils this week. Listeners, understand if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, then throughout January, you, you can subscribe for a special discounted price. You can enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from some of the best football writers around. And you can join us on the journey for 21 and 21. It's happening. It's happening. Um, all you have to do is go to theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up. That's theathletic.com slash manunitedpod to sign up. You can get all of our in-depth features, ad-free versions of all our podcasts, all for less than £4 a month. We're going to have a big statistical deep dive from our resident scientist, Tom Warville, on whether or not Manchester United are legit. The answer is maybe, I think. Uh <laughs> Laurie will be having pieces coming out of the Liverpool game. I am currently talking to football journalists in the Ivory Coast to get a little bit on Armand Diallo's early years and some more. Um, And Andy nearly always has an amazing interview in his back pocket. So I don't want to reveal who he's been talking to unless you want to do it now. Got a few on the back burner, mate. So just leave leave it with me. He's landed you there, hasn't he? He doesn't have to reveal it. Yes, I've got Manchester United's new signing, Lino Messi, talking exclusively... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> about how he'd love to play with um, Anthony Martial. Anyway, I think that's all for us this week. Thank you so much, listener, for joining us for Talk of the Devils. Uh, it's goodbye from me and a goodbye from Andy. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Laurie. And a goodbye from Laurie. Cheers, Carl. Cheers, Andy. Cheers, guys, for listening. Laurie filed at 4.30 this morning, so uh, he needs to get some sleep. Other than that, we'll see you sometime next week. See ya. The Athletic. <laughs>